Welcome back to this week's episode of Always Evolving with me, Coach Mike. I'm so excited to introduce my next guest, Brian Baumgartner. Brian played Kevin Malone on the iconic TV show, The Office, for eight seasons. He was on all 188 episodes, which that's crazy. Brian brought the cast back together as he hosts a very limited podcast on Spotify called The Oral History of The Office, where you will hear all the behind the scenes trivia. It's really fascinating. And he's here to even talk some more with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can I can I ask you a few questions just to kick this off? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you can ask me whatever you want. Other otherwise otherwise this whole thing would be muted. Um, so you ended up landing the iconic show The Office, which is kind of like the friends, so to speak, but you know, a different take and a different style and it's a mega success. But prior to that, what were you doing? Theater. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I graduated from college. I went to SMU in Dallas. Um, they had a conservatory training program, uh, for theater. And then I was, uh, I was a theater actor. So I was doing regional theaters around the country, uh, New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, San Francisco, and, uh, and was doing that. And then, um, I, from small theaters, big theaters, so, yeah, um, and touring theaters. And, uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles. I knew I wanted to go to Los Angeles. And, uh, so I, I always say I, I paid my dues on the, on the road. Once I moved to Los Angeles, I actually met the, uh, the producers on the office about three months after uh, I came to town. So once I was in LA, my relationship with them and, and the show started quickly, but I was doing theater around the country before that. And, and, and just, and you don't need to disclose exactly how much you were making, but when someone's doing theater, typically, what are they making? Well, it's actually funny. It, I, I'll, I will tell you this story. I was, uh, I was uh, for a time, I was the artistic director of a theater and I would go to New York to see new shows and try to decide what we should be doing at this theater that I was at. And, uh, it was like every time I went to New York, I would see this woman, Allison Janney. Now, Allison Janney is one of the greatest actors. And you've seen her in every movie, you know, C.J. Craig on the West Wing. So this is just prior to her being on the West Wing. But every time I would go to New York, I was seeing her on Broadway, like big off-Broadway shows. And I knew the playwright. And I got invited backstage. Now, I'm a nobody. I'm a theater actor, mostly from out of town. But I'm backstage and, you know, I'm back in the green room and I'm just kind of watching what's going on. And the show was almost uh, completed. And I hear Allison talking to someone. She's like, well, there's this play that I really want to do. But, you know, if I if I take that play that six weeks, I'm not going to have anything to do. And, you know, I've got to I've got to pay rent. And, and at that, it was truly a life-changing moment. I actually saw her about a year ago and told her the story. For me, I was like, oh my God, if Allison, if this woman who I'm seeing on every big stage in New York at the top, at the top level of actors in New York, if she's worried about making rent, not working for six weeks, what am I doing? And so, yeah, a, a big part of it was that experience with Allison. And also, you know, if you don't know, I love theater 
theater is really hard. Like there's hard, it's not digging ditches, but it's eight shows a week. You're working, you know, two shows some days. The only day you have off is Monday. Nothing goes on on a Monday. Nobody cares. Uh, it's just a very, it's a very hard, hard uh, business. And, and so that was really an impetus. My experience seeing her was like, maybe I need to explore film and television. Got it. So uh, basically you love theater. And if you could have made a fortune doing theater, maybe you would have stayed in theater. Well, I will say that, you know, there is nothing like the experience, the, the real intimate experience of doing a show in front of a live audience that you are, you are experiencing whatever is happening live and in the moment. That is a really powerful thing. However, you know, what's the largest theater I ever performed in? It's a rhetorical question. I don't know, 5,000 people, maybe, you know, maybe a, a few times, uh, a couple thousand. And then when you start thinking like, oh, I could do this thing and 15 million people are watching it at the same time, you know, back, especially when, when you, when television was, you know, if it was on at nine o'clock on Thursday, everybody was watching it on nine o'clock and there was no other option. Um, the power of that, of being able to entertain or make people think or whatever on that scale, um, it's also pretty cool. And it's pretty amazing. You moved to L.A. and you somehow got presented with this opportunity. And were there other opportunities before that in L.A. or that was kind of the first opportunity? I had moved just, you know, just a few months before I had done I had done a couple of. Uh, small commercials. I had, I had appeared in um, an episode of a very small part in an episode of CSI. There were like a couple of little things that I had done. Um, but I was, um, I actually, it's the one thing I tell actors or, or people who say they want to be an actor that, you know, they're like, what should I do? My best piece of advice is watch television, mm -hmm. watch films, like see what's out there. Because if you get an audition for a show and you don't know, is it, is it, I mean, at a base level, is it funny or is it not funny? Like, well, like, and, 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 but not just that, the style, the size, um, the style of acting, the style of the show, like all of those things I think are really, really important to understand also what's trending, like where is television moving, like which direction. And so I had seen the British version of The Office. And was a huge fan of it. And when they announced that NBC was doing this, I was aware of the show. And I thought, well, if I'm going to get on a show right now, this is the show that I should be on because they're looking for unknown people. They're looking for people who would, you know, be working at a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania and, and the specific style I felt like I got. And so, yeah, that's my, that's my biggest piece of advice. And did, did, were you ever scratching your head saying like, why am I not being cast for the heartthrob or did you? <laughs> no, no, that was, that was never, a, that was never a part of my thinking. So, so when you auditioned, did you see all the other potential options that were auditioning as well? Actually, one of the coolest things that I have in my office, um, I, 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 I was not aware at the time, but I also probably wouldn't have known them at the time. Um, but when Steve Carell left the show, Allison Jones, who was the casting director, went into her files and she was trying to find something cool 
to give to Steve, like something from the first audition or, you know, some, some memento. And she came up to me at like his party, his going away party. And she was like, you know, I didn't really find anything for Steve, but I, but I, I found this and I wanted to give it to you. And it was just a piece of printer paper. And it said Kevin Malone. And then it had one, two, three, they had three names and it was uh, myself and it was Eric Stone Street who ended up doing just fine, winning multiple Emmys for a modern family um, and Jorge Garcia who went, it was, you know, lost. He was on lost and whatever that show is now he's on. But anyway, it was, it was a cool thing because I think we all just ultimately ended up, you know, having some success, but ended up on the show that, that we should have been on. And did, did your family or anyone in your life go like, what are you doing going to Hollywood or LA? Or was everyone just like, no, you've got it. You go. Um, I had tremendous support from my family. Um, truly uh, early on. I, what was revealed to me later actually, which was the early days uh, after, you know, shortly after college, when I started doing theater that my parents came to Minneapolis, Minnesota to see me in a play. And there were, I don't know, 14 people in the audience or, you know, something. And their drive back to their hotel was filled with, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> like, this is like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Um, they never shared it with me. They were always very supportive. But in private back then, they were like, why has he chosen this career path? So they yes. drove back. They drove back and were like, why is he doing this? Yeah. Like, like they share this with me years later as a joke. But yeah, I think that they saw me doing a show with 14 people in the audience, including them. Right. And they were like, great job, honey. And then got in the car to drive. And they were like, what does he do? Like, this is a disaster. Why has he made this choice to do this thing? They never shared that with me, but um, but yes, years later they were like, "Well, this is what we thought at the time. Good job, you persevered through." And did you have this vision, like did, were, when you were younger, you were in theater? Were you like, "I'm going to be on a huge show," and I'm, did, you know, some people say they attract what they put out, right? Right. Did you? Um, go, go ahead. No, did you did you have a vision of I want to be in front of this, this, and this, and no, it honestly, for me, and I think it's what made the office very special. I think it was, it was um, littered with people that this was true about. I think that I wanted to make a living and I wanted to do good work. And I think that's the thing about the show that's tremendously gratifying. And, and Steve Carell talks to me in the podcast about this, that we just wanted to make a living. And the fact that we were able to do it on a show that we actually liked like there's a lot of successful shows and I, you know, I, I'm not going to name names, but there are a lot of actors that are on really successful shows that are like, well, the paycheck is really good. And it wasn't about that for us. It was really constantly trying to make the show better, being proud of the show of what we were doing. And, um, and you know, we were aware that, that what we were doing, was changing television and was probably going to fail because of that. Um, but it was, no, it was about that. And I think that, yeah, for me early on, the, the aspirational thing would have been like, truly like, well, 
I'm going to be Allison Janney. Like I will be the person on the stage that every time someone goes to New York, they're seeing me in this new play. And you know, that, that shifted for me. And, mm. uh, and I'm, I feel very lucky and fortunate that, you know, a lot of times there are a lot of, uh, extremely talented people that timing is off. Timing is wrong. Life happens, you know? Uh, so I feel very lucky in that regard that, um, you know, that things just worked out the way that it did. Yeah. I, I think it's so great that it worked out for you too, because it's, it's an unexpected success. It's a bigger success than you even imagined. Um, clearly your skills and the art of acting you were honing and practicing. It wasn't like you just moved to LA and were thought I'm going to do Instagram and become an actor. Right. (laughs) So, you know, you put in the work, you put in the time, you were passionate. It's an art and, and you had massive success. And I want to get in the podcast. One more question I have for you because I'm interested in, as you had more success with the show and as your fame rose, what was the biggest challenge for you overall mentally as things started taking off? Was there anything that started to get like dragged with you or challenging it? Like, was it hard for you to deal with the Hollywood nature of it all? Or were you, I know I'm throwing a lot of questions, but I'm just trying to. Right. Um, you know, no one's ever asked me in, in quite that way before. And so I'll just answer like what I'm thinking about. I, I think that in some ways, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably not as old as you think I am, but I think that there, for me, how old are you? There's, um, for me, you bleeped out. I don't think oh. zoom works. I think, um, <laughs> I, I think that there's a part of me that for me, it really, it was never about being famous. That was not, that was not a part of it for me. But if you look at like, I don't know, this is so nerdy and stupid, but like Al Pacino or um, um, (laughs) Robert De Niro, you know, it wasn't about their personal life. It Mm -hmm. It wasn't about their it wasn't about their persona or what they were doing on a Saturday night. It was about the characters that they created and the art. Sorry. And and it's about the art, the art of the artistry, right? Yes. For me. And that's what it was about. It was about, it was about creating characters. Um, And, and so to me, there's a great mystery in, there, there should be some mystery about who the person is. If what, if what's important is actually the characters that they create and what that brings across. And I think that now so often, because we know so much about everybody, it's way more difficult to have people suspend their disbelief and to go places. I mean, truly maybe now, like currently you've got Tom Hanks and that's about it. Like you can let Tom Hanks create a bold, different character and go with it. And, but more often than not, you, you cannot. And so what your sexuality is, 
determines the kinds of roles you can or cannot play. And, you know, obviously, you know, what, what you look like, I mean, what you look like doesn't change, but, but how you are perceived in the world as a person now is tied so strongly into, you know, what characters you are able to play. And, you know, so for me, that, that is, that is a difficult thing that, and, you know, sitting down at a restaurant and being in the middle of, of eating and, and somebody coming up at that moment. I mean, I truly people coming up to me doesn't bother me. It's just, it's all about timing and approach like that for me. That's it's all about timing and approach. Yeah. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. So, so it sounds like the big surprise to you was how much of your personal life people try to find out or get into. And then that also mirrors potentially the type of roles you could play and the type of characters you're allowed to play based upon your, like, I know some actors don't have social media. Right. Um, a woman from Saturday Night Live. I don't, I don't think I forget her name. I don't think Sigourney Weaver uses hers. There's a few of them. And I actually love right. it because their social media is so funny to me because it's someone else doing it. And it just looks right. Looks right. You know, it's like a fan. Well, I think that for, I think that for me, um, I think that that the only reason I use it is to attempt to at least because the problem is, is that's a to me, that's a cop out. Because if you don't use it, I mean, I'm not saying you have to, please, but I use it very sparingly but for me really it's about it's about controlling the narrative because the narrative is going to get out there anyway you know like you know i enjoy going to the lakers games i love going to dodgers games i mean obviously in a different time or whatever so it's like i'm not talking about being holed up in my house but you know jack nicholson been to every lakers game since 1967 or whatever you know i mean like it's just it's a it's a it's about for me, it's about where it becomes about the fame or becomes about elevating yourself. To me, it, it, it just it, it has to detract from from the work that you're trying to do. Yeah. And you know, that's for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like when I think back uh, as a kid, which very I've never I, you know, and I've never quite understood like fandoms and obsession with people that you don't know. Like, I understand art and loving the art and being like, oh, my gosh, let me embrace it. I'm inspired. But like being that curious about somebody's personal life who I don't know. And I want and it's just the whole the whole thing's very strange to me. But I also think, God, social when the camera phone has killed so many things in life. Because even if you're eating at a restaurant, someone's taking a picture of you eating a pretzel with mustard and you're just like, what are you doing? Right. Or like, or people want to come up to you and have a conversation with you. But like it, it sounds like that's just the nature of what it is. And, and, but it's, do you feel like your roles get affected based upon what people think of your, I like, I don't know a lot about your personal life. Do you think that affects you? 
no, I think it's more the sustained and incredible popularity of the office. Now, I think that more than anything um, has the potential to affect. I mean, I've been lucky enough to be able to do some different things, particularly lately, but there's a lot of people who, who just, who just want to see me as Kevin. Got it. And so since the, you now have the podcast, you, the show's show has massive success. The podcast is going to be a huge success. So what, what will people get from listening to the oral history of the office? For for me, it wasn't about, um, for me, it was really an exploration, which because it was mind blowing to me, which was why is the show now seven years since we filmed the last scene that we shot? Why is it now the most watched show in television, which by basically any metric it is. So, and why is, and why are people who are 12 and 13 years old? Like, why are they so into it? Like why, like what happened? We thought we were making a show for, you know, people who worked in an office that hopefully they would think that it was funny and see part of their daily life, you know, mocked or whatever in, you know, in the show, but that's what we thought we were making the show for, but like, why has it had this popularity? And so for me, it was really an active exploration of trying to answer that question. Like what has happened? So for me, that trying to figure that out, is is fascinating and like Billie Eilish who you know is like the biggest pop star on the planet she's watched 14 times 16 times you know like why is like what and you know she's a teenager like why has this happened um and so that exploration was really fun and the the i the the ability to tell the story that so many people don't know especially the young people which don't know one that NBC even exists. Right. And yeah. that two, that the show was always on Netflix. This was a, this is a Netflix show, the office that we can watch, uh, you know, over 200 episodes or 200 half hours of, um, I, so that was, that was important to me that, that really we were dead after six episodes. I mean, this show was not going any further. And then after 12 episodes, we took our nameplates off the door. We took everything out of our, I mean, we went home and we were never coming back. And the courage, the, the artistry of a few people, uh, the courage of one person really at NBC that, that gave the show a chance and let it grow and find its audience. I mean, to go from that to where it is today, I think it's just a great story. And why, why do you think if you were to, why do you think the show resonates with people so much? Um, I think that there, I think that it brings comfort. I think that people do, people say um, bad things or cringy things, but at the heart of it, this group of people who work in an office together ultimately care a lot for each other. There's a tremendous heart um, within the relationships and, I think that um, the office, more than we realized, mirrors the experience of kids in school 
with an unreasonable teacher that's making you do things that you don't want to do, sitting next to people that you didn't choose to sit next to, going to class with people you didn't necessarily choose. But, you know, you, through elementary school, through junior high, through high, you're still with these same people every day, every year. Uh, that progression that takes place, I think that that mirror was just, I mean, it seems obvious when I say it or when I, you know, someone said it to me, but it was not anything that we were aware of. So um, I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a big reason. And I, and I think, I think the heart, and I think potentially not at all to get political, but you know, n- the idea that even 15 years ago, there's a small business that you can have healthcare in that you know where you're showing up every single day. It's a fairly intimate setting versus, you know, what really has become big box stores now with very little, uh, you know, it's all about more so than on our show, but it's about checking corporate guidelines and working at big box stores. Someone who I spoke to on the podcast said, it's crazy, but there is maybe a hint of nostalgia for the good old days mm. <laughs> working at a paper company at Dunder Mifflin. And that was clearly never a part of what we were creating when it was happening. Yeah. I think it also, uh, and the, the, the extreme other angle is it, you were allowed, if you look at the office and the conversations they have there and how inappropriate things are from time to time, there's a lot of forgiveness and there's a lot of like, mistakes a lot like i'm in california the laws are so intense that it can strip away the soul of even having that intimacy and friendship and relatability and connection um where it's all about don't say this say this do this don't do this and i just think um it's almost like you want to be in that office that's that's exactly what, what what i had people say yeah. Yeah. That you wish that you could work there, which again, when we were doing the show, that was not, a that was not, a it was not about, Hey, let's show you a great fun place to work. It was like a dying industry paper, you know, technology is starting like all, all of those things that were happening yet now for people to go back and be like, yeah, gosh, I wish that I worked there. I want to work someplace like there. Um, and, and just knowing in terms of like small business, uh, those kind of places don't exist as much mm-hmm. even today. And, and Brian, what what is I know you have the podcast and then in terms of what is inspiring or exciting to you and what you really bodies of work that you're getting into. You probably have a ton of options. So, um, yeah, I mean, I. um I shot three movies in the last 18 months. I've got one um, that I understand is just done today. I'm really excited uh, about it. I get to see it next week. Cool. Uh, and in addition, one of the most fun things that I've been working on over the last couple of years is um, I've been doing some animated voiceover stuff and I have a, a new series that'll be out on Netflix. I mean, we'll see with, with uh, what's going on now, but hopefully toward the beginning of 2021, we've already, um, have over 30 episodes that are in the can already. So uh, that's been really fun for me creating a character just by voice in a different way. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on always evolving everyone go check out his podcast, which is called the oral history of the office. 
So you want to check that out. Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time. You're Absolutely. Listen, man, you're an inspiring guy. I love your story. Um, you're relatable. And just your humility and your passion and creation of art is super inspiring. So thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian, for coming on Always Evolving and talking to us about your life, your inspirations, uh, being a part of one of America's favorite cult classic TV shows. I can't wait to check out an oral history of The Office exclusively on Spotify. And I'd love for you to check out my free empowerment group. Uh, this last week, we had over 250 people live, and we talked about releasing your negativity and getting positive. Mallory Irvin, who you heard on one of the podcast episodes, she's going to be facilitating exercise on living life to your fullest. All you need to do is enter your email. It's totally free. CoachMikeBear.com. Enter your email once, and every week you'll get an update of the different people who are speaking for that week. And don't forget to always subscribe here to Always Evolving, and please give it a rating, a thumbs up, and let me know what you think. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you.